Hello, heathens, and welcome to Spinning the Wheel podcast with me, your pneumatic host, Megan Angus. And this week we are going to be discussing Lunasod season, new moon in Virgo, lunar week 29 by some systems, right? (laughs) All right, let's get into it. This week has a super deep focus around good old-fashioned, plain old goddess energy. (laughs) Welcome back. (laughs) Goddess as the embodiment of the thing, which is such an important concept here in Lunasad season. Embodiment, right? Being the thing. Doing the work. Uh, In spring, we're experimenting. In summer, we're claiming, we're affirming, and we are stepping into being the thing. So this week, we see the goddess as the embodiment of the accumulation of her power, her wisdom, and the ability to produce. And as the embodiment of all of this cool stuff and amazing ability Hold on to herself. She is doing it. There's a new Yadhe Vadhe for you. <laughs> Goddess as bridge between intention and action. Goddess as mediator between spirit and flesh. Goddess as place where the hypothetical can incubate until it becomes the living world. And what I love is that we are starting off with this incredible new moon in Virgo, who is absolutely this entity and this deity and this archetype. Um, The sign of Virgo very much is the idea of the maiden whole unto herself, but also the mother that is producing the great harvest that is happening, the great surge of abundance that is happening around the Northern Hemisphere. So there is very much a progenitrix kind of um, vibe with this archetype or this deity. Very much a, yes, I'm a virgin and I also got myself pregnant. I became the queen. (laughs) And now I am giving you the production of that and the result of that. You're welcome. (laughs) Just, you know, a little bit of that. Okay. Um, So let's get right into talking about this new moon and its astrology and the holy days of this week. Here we go. Okay. Our new moon in Virgo is exact at 14 degrees of Virgo at 5.51 p.m. PST and later for everybody else, uh, September 6th. That's Monday, September 6th. Um, and the uh, before we get into that, let me say, um, the days leading up, we talked about this in last week's episode, but I want to reinforce this. Um, the days leading up to the new moon especially sort of like those last 36 to 48 hours before then the moon is actually new where it's truly dark those are the balsamic moments into the the sort of 
void new moon. It's interesting to me because the new moon itself has two faces. The new moon is both the dark last the dark moon of the old cycle and the dark moon of the coming cycle. Um, and that symbology to me um, speaks very closely to a lot of the symbology that's very inherent to the uh, deities that we work with as modern pagans, especially the goddess in particular, um, because they, she, they, change shape. And they are the one thing, but they are all of their versions of themselves in there too, you know? <laughs> so even though we are looking at the face of the mother goddess, as it were, for modern pagans, if you're following Wicca or if you're following a lot of the um, Western European pagan tradition, um, the version or the form of the goddess that we are working with at this time of year is the mother. There's the maiden, the mother, and the crone, the trilogy, right? The the trinity, the, the, the triple goddess. Um, and this is a form we are, we're with the mother right now, but this moment that she passes or they pass through Virgo season to me is sort of a preamble of what is going to happen at fall and then into winter when she truly becomes the crone. It's like this little moment of like, you know, <laughs> I'm going to retreat at some point. I'm going to back up at some point. And these hours of the new moon are our time to do that every single month in whatever way you can. And like I say, every month, I know that we all have jobs and we have our families and we have our, you know, stuff, right? Our stuff that's got to get attended to here in this world and in this lifetime um, and in our day, you know, <laughs> in our daily and weekly routines. Um, but in whatever way you can, Give yourself this opportunity to retreat, slow down, stop, and then begin again and go forward and, and continue your process or start your new process or whatever you're going to be doing for the upcoming lunar cycle. I just really, really encourage it. We get an opportunity to do it in some way every single month. It can be symbolic, it can be literal, it can be simply a moment of doing some deep breathing. It could be an extra long shower or an extra long bath, um, you know, an extra long self-pleasure sesh, like whatever form it needs to take. That's just like a, hey, everybody, I'll, I'll be back with you in a few, okay? I'm just gonna, I just gotta step out of this time-space continuum for just a sec. I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> that all said, let's talk about this new moon. Okay. Um, our symbology that we work with every month as we step into the new moon phase of every lunar cycle is the seed in the dark. The moon and us in our process in the lunar cycle are sitting as a seed in full of potential, ready to go, all kinds of ideas, all kinds of curiosity, all kinds of fears, all kinds of oh, what's going to happen next. We're in the soil. We're in the dark. We have everything around us that we need, or maybe we don't, right? Maybe we, maybe that's part of the process is getting more parts to 
to actually be able to see the vision through. But here we are in the dark, waiting, anticipating, getting ready to do the thing. Okay. Um, but in particular, when we have our new moon in Virgo, we are taking extra time with this shutdown, turning within vibe and moment. Um, and so this is really a super incredible time to head within and take our own counsel. Um, sitting with time is uh, a phrase that Raven Caldera mentions in their description of this moon in this phase, in this sign. Um, so sitting with time and sitting with ourselves uh, is incredibly potent magic. Specifically because there are voices and there is counsel that we cannot hear, we cannot receive until we get a moment alone. We literally are just, it's out there that that counsel is there, those voices are there, that information is trying to reach us, whether it's from ancestors, whether it's from our guides, whether it is, um, you know, entities or deities that we work with, um, you know, they're there, they're trying to help us. But we have the noise and the tumult of the physical plane all around us. And so in Virgo season, and in particular, at the new moon in Virgo, this is just an incredible time to retreat from the world for a moment and go give those spaces, the or excuse me, to give those voices and to give that counsel the silence that it needs to be able to hear it and to be able to register it and process it and think about it and witness it kind of consciously. Um, and another issue that can get brought up working with this moon is being alone. Can you be alone? Is there a difference for you between being alone and being lonely? Does being alone feel lonely? Or do you appreciate your own presence? Do you like hanging out with yourself? That's also stuff that might come up for us here with this new moon in Virgo. Um, if you work, if you do stuff um, during this new moon in Virgo, I recommend making it something repetitive so that you can um, kind of just like put it in the background while you continue to do your meditations and continue to like listen to your inner counsel and have this very introspective experience. Speaking of Raven Caldera again, um, uh, this is from the book Moon Phase Astrology. I talk about it on a lot of episodes because I really like the work that's in it. Um, something that they uh, mention for the new moon in Virgo is the Russian proverb, the heart of a maiden is a dark forest. I love that imagery. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it, it, you know, what, what comes up for you when I say that phrase, the heart of a maiden is a dark forest. That might be a really incredible place to start some, um, some free association stream of consciousness journaling and just let your pen 
or your pencil or your, you know, writing implement, whatever it is you're using, just sort of run and go and just let the words come out of you. That might be a really great place to start doing some of this introspective work for the new moon in Virgo. Okay. While we are working with the new moon in Virgo for our lunar body work, we are awakening, activating, adorning, stimulating, and nourishing for action our large and small intestines, our spleen, our pancreas, and the parts of our bodies that help filter stuff and break stuff down and produce hormones and things like that. Just like we were doing that in the sense of like reducing stress and relieving and nourishing for comfort in our last episode for all of those body parts, um, because we were in Virgo. Now we're in the new moon for Virgo. So now we are looking to activate those body parts and nourish them for action, nourish them for future work. Again, as I say every episode, I am not a medical doctor in any way, shape, or form. Please um, work with your trusted health advisor when it comes to physical body stuff that I might recommend to you in this podcast because I'm just some crazy lady on the internet. Okay. <laughs> just, you know, fair warning. All right. That, side note, that's a great album from Van Halen. Just, okay. Uh, while we are working with the new moon in Virgo for our plant body work, don't touch the plants. I say this every month. Virgo energy is a little too nitpicky. I always in the past thought that Virgo energy, because it's an earth sign, oh, that's going to be incredible for working with plants. No, all of the traditional like farmer's almanac sources and all of that stuff that combines plant attendance with astrology or lunar phases is like leave the plants alone on Virgo. And I think it's because we're too nitpicky during, during the lunar days of Virgo. So what I would recommend is literally just enjoy your plants in their naturalness. Maybe work next to your plants. Maybe have sex or sensual experiences next to your plants. Um, but no trimming, no pruning, no transplanting, none of that stuff. Okay. Um, that's not all we're doing on this day, though. So let's now, now that we've talked about the moon and its vibes and kind of the vibes that it's sort of setting for the week, right? This very introspective moment, coming in, realizing my own counsel, realizing my own power and wisdom and my own access to my own wisdom sources, all of that stuff. Let's now talk a little bit about the other astrology that's happening on September 6th. First and foremost, wee-oh, wee-oh, alert, alert. Mercury enters its shadow phase at 10 degrees of Libra on September 6th. Yes, Mercury will be going retrograde in a few weeks because why not? <laughs> yeah, sure, put that on the fire. Let's see what that does. Uh, okay, so you heard it here first, probably not. Um, but anyways, let me give you the lowdown. We are going to talk more about the actual Mercury retrograde when we get a little bit closer to it. Um, but here are the deets. Mercury enters its shadow phase on September 6th at 10 degrees Libra. It will station retrograde September 26th at 25 degrees of Libra. 
and it will retrograde backwards or appear to move backwards um, all the way until October 18th, where it reaches 10 degrees of Libra. And then it will station direct and begin to appear to move forward again. And it leaves the shadow phase at 25 degrees of Libra on November 2nd. Yes, Samhain. So today until Samhain, Mercury retrograde season, the actual moment of the retrograde is... September 26th to October 18th. But when we are including the shadow phases, we are talking about now until, no, or excuse me, September 6th until November 2nd. That's fine, right? There's nothing super fucking ominous about that, is there? No, it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. Uh, what do we do when Mercury is in retrograde? I'll give you a little heads up since we are stepping into the shadow phase. Um, any word that we can put RE in front of is super appropriate work to do during Mercury retrograde. A lot of folks talk about Mercury retrograde as if the whole world is going to shut down and all the planes are going to fly out of the sky and, you know, uh, you know, or fall out of the sky and, you know, like all of our computers are going to explode and all that stuff. And, and, you know, heads up, Mercury stations retrograde three to four times a year every year. So if it was actually that dramatic, we'd probably hear a little bit more about it, right? So like we'd all be going through our phones a lot faster. <laughs> but stuff can go a little haywire. And if Mercury is retrograding through a part of your natal chart where you have a lot of stuff <laughs> um, or it's aspecting things strongly uh, while it's in retrograde or if it happens to station retrograde or station direct at a degree that is an important degree in your chart, you might really feel it. You might really feel any particular retrograde. And so now you've got the degrees for this one. You can go look up your natal chart and see how it's going to bang you. Um, <laughs> um, in Libra, Libra is an air sign, Mercury, air planet. Um, and so there could be extra, extra goofiness around communication stuff. That's emails, information going back and forth, you know, you telling your version but not being heard or somebody telling their version, but you don't hear what they're saying, all of that kind of stuff. And Libra has a lot to do with diplomacy. It has a lot to do with contracts. Um, it has a lot to do with committed partnerships of all kinds. And justice, legal stuff also can come under the auspices of the sign of Libra. So... Generally speaking, it's, you know, good advice to like not sign contracts, not make super important decisions that require a lot of brainification um, during Mercury retrograde, but life has to happen. So, you know, just be aware, read the fine print five or six times, get an extra set of eyes on it, ask a friend, ask a partner, pay the extra 50 bucks to ask another lawyer or legal advisor. Hey, can you look at this for me? I don't know if I'm really, you know, whatever it is that needs to happen, we can make it through. We'll talk more about it then. Just wanted to kind of give you a heads up. Like I said, anything that that's air stuff, right? So communication, all that stuff. Anything that's Libra, we just talked about all that stuff. Partnerships, contracts, legal stuff, diplomacy stuff. Um, might get a RE 
added to the beginning of those words. Experiment with that. That's another journaling exercise for you to try. Okay, also happening on this day, we have some really cool, tough, but cool, actually none of this astrology is super tough. Um, it's actually pretty dope. That, in my opinion, really assists with this uh, Virgo new moon work that we're being asked to do this week. Starts off with Virgo in Mars, Trine, Pluto, retrograde in Capricorn at 24 degrees. This is still all September 6th, by the way. Um, this is a fantastic transit for making reforms in your life that serve your ambitions and make you more effective at affecting the world around you, which is very, very, very in line with our Virgo vibes. Very in line with our, absolutely, with our hermit and with our Virgo vibes. This is a fantastic day for long-range plans. We love to hear that about a new moon, right? Um, think about what you want to change in yourself and the world and talk to yourself about that work. You don't need to like make a decision. You don't need to sign a contract on this day. This is a fantastic day to lay down groundwork, um, to, to, you know, throw up some framework for, for connecting your needs and the social needs, the needs of the world around you. Um, this is a really great day to take a moment to see how your needs are uh, enmeshed in the needs of the community around you and the world around you. A uh, really fantastic day for um, working on the needs of the many as if they were your needs. Because they are. <laughs> they actually are. You are not separate from the situation. It's you. It me. It us. Okay. <laughs> so this is a really, really cool transit for bringing that kind of long-term, long-range viewpoint in. And again, this is a day where we're asking for that. We're, we're being quiet because we are asking for that extra help, that extra information, that extra wisdom from our wisdom sources. Fantastic timing for this transit. Also on this day, we have the sun in Virgo, trine Uranus retrograde in Taurus at 14 degrees. So let's bring on the Virgo vibes again. Holy moly. So we've got the sun in Virgo. We've got the Mars in Virgo. We've got the moon in Virgo. Let's go Virgo. <laughs> um, this is an excellent day for self-discovery. Great to be um, lovingly real with yourself about who you are and any changes or improvements that you need to make um, totally makes sense because you can see all of your parts and how they all fit together. This is also a really fantastic day for studying anything, but in particular sciences like technology or electronics, but also like the occult metaphysics, like whatever kind of science, uh, exciting stuff. That's what we really want to be studying on a day that we're trining Uranus for sure, for sure. So we have this beautiful trine between Mars and Pluto. That's like, Hey, let me talk about my long range plans. Let's get some real shit going on between me and my community. Like let's build some shit for real, for real. And then we also have the sun in Virgo trining Uranus in Taurus. That's like, let me be real about myself. Who am I? What am I doing? What have I got to work with? This is fucking great. 
So, so freaking cool. And then in the midst of all of this, we also have Venus in Libra trine Jupiter retrograde in Aquarius at 25 degrees. Venus trine Jupiter is one of the like year's best aspects, right? We don't want to really talk about it that way, but we're gonna, because when it comes to Venus and Jupiter getting together and doing stuff, especially in a trine, all of the astrologers are like, doot, 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 it's fancy part time. Woo. Check it out. And they get all excited because it's the two benevolence, the two benefics getting together, hanging out, partying, having a cocktail, being super cute. What do we do with a Libra trine Jupiter? We fucking enjoy it. That's what we do. We do whatever the hell we want. So all of this stuff about planning for your future and having this deep introspective moment, if you're like, I am not actually feeling any of that, let's have my ties and sit by the lake <laughs> or the beach or the pool or the wading pool on the sidewalk, like whatever. Like that is also completely appropriate for this new moon and this Venus trine Jupiter transit. Um, this is graceful, it's easy, it's pleasure-filled, it's extremely chill, it's very content. Maybe it's lazy too, but I'm sorry, we have all been working real hard. Psychologically, emotionally, physically, financially, <laughs> we've been working pretty hard this year. Take a day off. I'm saying it. I'm, I just said my witch told me I have to take a day off. That's my witch told me. I'm sorry. I have to take this day. Um, it's also a fantastic day for traveling and doing vacay kind of stuff, stay home vacation or leave town vacation. And it's also a really fantastic day for making investments in the arts and arts across the board. You got a musical friend who's been trying to hawk their CD, buy that damn thing or their cassette or their album, whatever, buy a copy. Um, you know, a friend who takes photos, if you can afford it, buy one. You got a friend that does collage art, buy one. You got a friend who's raising money to be able to rent a venue for their dance troupe, throw in 25 bucks into the bucket. This is a fantastic day for supporting and investing in the arts of all kinds. Tip your local drag queen. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. Now let's talk about the holy days of September 6th, because yes, it's still September 6th in this podcast. And there is still so much to talk about. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> okay. Holy days for September 6th from September 6th to September 8th. We have Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year. This is kicking off year 5782 for all of your Jewish and Jewish friends. <laughs> Rosh Hashanah literally means the head of the year, and this is Jewish New Year. Um, the biblical name for this holiday is Yom Teruah, literally the day of shouting or blasting. Um, Rosh Hashanah occurs approximately 163 days after the first day of Passover and thus is usually but not always determined by the new moon closest to the autumnal equinox. It is this year. Um, and something that I want to point out here is this specifically this name, meaning the head of the year. If you remember um, last week, uh, in last week's episode, we were talking about uh, the fixed star that is in the head of the dragon that used to be Polaris. And um, this 
serpent biting its own tail and twisted into um, this winding pattern going back and forth across the top of the sky um, is how this constellation is depicted. So here we have the head of the year. Last year we had a fixed star marking the head of the dragon. And if you um, checked out my hermit card class that I have available for my patrons. It's a two hour class on the hermit card, just the one card. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, we talk a lot about the dragon serpent imagery that we see so much of in so many hermit cards. Uh, there's a few pictures on my Instagram uh, for the, the, the post announcing that. So um, go check out some of those images, whether you look at it on social media or you go grab the file from Patreon, whatever. Go look at some of those images of this serpent dragon winding around something, um, how it's interacted with in the cards, how it's depicted, who's doing what with what, all of that stuff. Um, because we're seeing a lot of that symbolism and imagery coalesce in this week. Okay. Also on this day, Juno Regina's day. This is from our Roman ancestors. This is a depiction of the goddess Juno as the victorious queen or regent. And again, remember, uh, lat two weeks ago from episode lunar week 27, we had the queenship of Mary. Um, Juno is the female counterpart to Jove, who is Jupiter. Um, and in some ways, those two gods are gods, goddesses are actually synonymous with each other. Um, so we are seeing this very interesting symbolism throughout a lot of our holidays this week uh, with um, serpent dragon deity type stuff. And then we are going to see a lot of this goddess as queen, goddess as regent, goddess as sovereign uh, kind of uh, stuff between last week and this week as well. Okay. Also on this day, we have the Dies Natalis for the temples of Jupiter the Thunderer and Jove the Free. And we will talk about that a little bit more in just a second. And then also on September 6th, we have the United States holiday of Labor Day. This is a federal holiday in the U.S. celebrated on the first month in September to honor and recognize the American labor movement and the works and contributions of laborers. And that's all I'm going to read from that paragraph because uh, the development and the achievements of this country are not from this country, but they are from the individual workers. Your boss is stealing from you. Hope that doesn't get you fired. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's move on to September 7th. <laughs> all right, September 7th, the moon enters Libra. And this is really complimenting our... Um, Libra vibes with Venus and Jupiter from the day before. Super cute. Um, when we are working with this particular lunar phase in the sign of Libra, really enhancing that whole thing about the arts and investing and appreciating the arts, this lunar phase is a fantastic time for going and enjoying the arts, making arts, and that can be going to a ballet or watching a musical performance or a film or anything like that. But it can also absolutely be making any kind of art, but also just artistic and beautiful environments are wonderful. Going and hanging out near a waterfall, going and, you know, uh, sitting by a pristine lake or a beautiful desert or watching the sunset. Those all appear 
all count as well. <laughs> doesn't have to be too in intense or complicated. It can be very, very simple. Um, just any place, any way that you are participating in and enjoying beauty um, and aesthetics. <laughs> God is blessed, right? Um, when we are working with our lunar body during uh, the waxing moons in Libra, we are awakening, activating, adorning, stimulating, and nourishing for action our hips, our kidneys, and our bladder. So even more filtration stuff, sending back the good stuff, right? Um, but also like prepping the waste parts of us for the work that we're going to do when the moon is moving through uh, Scorpio. And then for our plant body work, it's aesthetics only. This is another lunar phase where we don't really fuck with the plants too much. So what do I think is really appropriate? Wiping down your pots and like giving them a good dusting, maybe dusting or wiping down your plant stands, um, adjusting the lighting, maybe adding some decorations, bringing them some shells or crystals or rocks or, you know, whatever, like judging the vibe is what's really appropriate while the moon is in Libra dealing with your plants. Maybe it's about, you know, if you have a yard, if you're lucky enough for um, having a yard or outdoor spaces, maybe it's about judging up the outdoor lighting for nighttime and making things super cute, that kind of thing. Sweep the walk. That's what's appropriate for our plant work when the moon is in Libra. Okay. Now let's talk about um, the astrology of this day. Okay, our astrology for September 7th is pretty straightforward. The only transit of note that we have for this day is Mercury in Libra oppose Chiron retrograde in Aries at 11 degrees. Lots of folks work with Chiron. Lots of folks don't. I don't think that there's a right or wrong way. It's just more information. Um, but there are plenty of astrological systems that do not even recognize Chiron as a body. So there's that, right? Take it with a grain of salt. Um, but if you do work with Chiron or if you're curious about it, what is it? It's a planetoid. It's an asteroid. It has a very goofy orbit. Um, and in the natal chart, its definition more or less is that it represents a sacred wound that we carry in our lifetime. Um, and what does that mean? A sacred wound is something that causes us pain could be physical, but it could be emotional, psychological, spiritual, whatever, right? Philosophical, something that causes us pain and at the same time brings us wisdom and teaches us things. And those are lessons, those are wisdoms uh, and gems that we actually can share with other people and potentially heal them with it potent stuff, right? You can see why some people would want to work with this symbol. It's pretty, pretty intense. Well, what happens when we are experiencing transits with Chiron, even under a trine or a conjunction with a benevolent planet like Venus or Jupiter, um, any interaction with Chiron can bring up this issue of our sacred wound. And that's it's a wound, right? So it's inherently painful. So even when we're having quote unquote good experiences with Chiron, they can be bittersweet. They can be beautiful, but tough, you know, that kind of thing. But this is an opposition uh, from Mercury to Chiron. So significantly less exciting, <laughs> not terrible. And as an, also a note, when we are experiencing transits from the planet Mercury, they are going to go very, very fast. So partly I thought, 
this is sort of a goofy asteroid. Lots of people don't work with it. It's a transit from Mercury. It's going to be very quick. Do I even need to mention this? But then I thought, yeah, because Mercury is in Libra. And so that's our sign of diplomacy, but also looks and veneer and um, wanting things to be aesthetically pleasing and delightful. And Chiron is in Aries, the sign that talks about our sense of self, my me-ness, my unique self, um, and my will to it, um, express that self in the universe. So this opposition between these two um, celestial bodies could really feel like a lot of your wounds around your work that you've done in your life to express yourself, to determine what your identity is, and then to broadcast to the world. Whatever wounds or sacred pain that you have around that work might come up today, and it might feel like you are getting criticism or weird feedback from the universe or from yourself or maybe from your friend group or your community or whatever. That's some sort of criticism on your process. Um, from going from point A to point B. This could all be internal. Maybe you're getting some weird BS externally from somebody whose opinion clearly doesn't matter. Um, but past wounds around your identity, um, past wounds around work that you have done around defining yourself and expressing your identity. Um, and so just be aware of that. Why I decided to bring it up is, you know, not only because it's Mercury and Libra, not only because it's Chiron and Aries, but also because we're kicking off the week with our new moon in Virgo. All of us have Virgo in our house, or excuse me, in our natal chart somewhere. And Virgo represents that thing in us that wants to refine, that wants to perfect, that wants to go through every little granular detail and set everything just right. Except there is no perfection of the self. There's no perfection of our physical body. There's no perfection of our life. And so our Virgo-ness that all of us have in us can get a little wound up about that process sometimes and can get real nitpicky and refinement suddenly turns into, um, you know, I'm lost in all of the tiny cracks and all of the little flaws in a system that will never be perfect and can't nor should be perfect. Um, so if our Virgo-ness is getting a little out of whack this week, um, this Mercury-opposed Chiron might uh, reinforce that whackness. Um, and so if you are having an inner dialogue around I could have done this better. If only I had done 51 crunches instead of 50, I'd be perfectly thin now. Or if only I had put two more tablespoons of frosting on the cake, it would have tasted exactly how it was supposed to taste. But no, you know, like whatever our gig is, right? Whatever our deal is. If we find ourselves kind of spiraling out on a negative trip, that's just like going over these old pains. This is what's up. I recommend that you just try to detach from that process. Let yourself have a little tantrum for a couple of minutes and then be like, okay, why don't we go organize the silverware, Troy? <laughs> you know, like whatever it takes to like get us distracted and, you know, like here, why don't we alphabetize this glitter? You know, <laughs> like whatever, right? 
<laughs> give your Virgo-ness something small and insignificant with lots of parts to be organized and it will be totally thrilled while you go and like watch TV or get your nails done or, you know, whatever, sleep, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> All right. There is the astrology for September 7th. Let's move on to other stuff that's happening on September 7th. Okay, starting September 7th and running all the way through December 10th, we have the Torrid Meteor Showers. Um, the meteor showers that, um, or the, excuse me, the meteoroid streams that feed the Torrids are very spread out and very diffused. Other, um, thus, excuse me, the Torrids are extremely long-lasting, like I said, running from September all the way to December. Um but often are not offering up very many meteors per hour. Um, however, what is interesting about this meteor shower is it is well known amongst astronomers as having the highest percentage of fireballs or exceptionally bright meteors. Um, I, I think it's really cool because we are going to see, we've already started to see a few lantern festivals, but we are going to see a whole bunch more lantern festivals pop up. And it's very normal for us to see lantern festivals happening on earth. Um, and usually lantern festivals represent a ritual or a festival where souls are being sent up to heaven or to the afterlife from earth uh, during big meteor shower spikes that we have throughout the year. It's really, really cool. Okay. Also on this day, we have uh, the day of Dini, which is a Hindu charity festival. As far as I can tell, I have this holiday written down in a couple of different places and I have been able to find the name of it online, but not a description. I think that's what it is. Also happening on this day, we have the Fiesta de la Vendimia, uh, which is the grape harvest from Spain. This is a harvest festival for the grape harvest. We're seeing lots of that imagery all throughout this portion of the season, um, especially the closer we get to Maybon, the more we're going to start to be seeing grape and other fruit harvests happening. What I love, or, you know, thanks colonization, um, is that this same exact festival happens in Argentina, uh, which is in South America, in March at spring equinox for us, but fall equinox for them. Pretty cool stuff. Okay, also on this day, we have the feast of the birth of Yamoya from our Yoruba friends. Now, this is a holiday that is celebrated at least four times throughout the year um, in February, in twice in December, and then this one, September 7th. Um, Yoruba, of course, is an um, African uh, belief system. It is a culture. It is a location. <laughs> it is a philosophy. It's a religion. It's a way of life. Um, Yoruba is massive. It's a massive collection of myth and symbol and cultural practice and just incredible stuff. Um, when we say the word Yoruba, there's a lot of stuff underneath it. <laughs> it's big. Um, and Yemoya is the major water spirit from the Yoruba religion. She is the mother of all the Orishas. She is herself an Orisha. Um, she is the patron saint of all rivers, specifically the Ogun River in Nigeria. Um, 
She oversees oceans in Cuban and Brazilian Orisha religions. Uh, and so on that note, I, I want to remind us all that Yoruba is also a diaspora religion and um, it was spread around the planet through um, the slave trade, the completely illegal and thoroughly fucking unethical slave trade that existed for hundreds of years. Thanks colonizers. Um, and uh, wherever people were taken, wherever they were stolen to <laughs> um, and brought to, they brought their version of Yoruba with them. And those versions of Yoruba then um, adapted to whatever other belief systems were native to the area, plus the Catholicism that a lot of the um, colonizers uh, who stole these people were practicing themselves. And so we see Yoruba diaspora religions like Vodun, Santeria, Brujaria, all over the planet, Candomblé, and plenty of others, um, all over the planet. And they all kind of have these interesting echoes of each other. But my long-winded point here is that's why we have at least four different festivals celebrating this holiday is because it's celebrated at different times around the planet, different belief systems. Bruja, Brujaria does it at one time, Santeria another time, Candomblé another time. Um, Yemoya is a huge deal. She is cognate to uh, the Virgin Mary. She is... Um, motherly and strong and protective. Um, she, you know, of course was the mother of all the Orishas. So kind of a big deal birth goddess, right? Uh, mother goddess. Um, she comforts folks and cleanses them of sorrow. She is able to cure infertility uh, and cowrie shells represent her wealth. So she's also got bags of cash. Um, and she can super, uh, she can get super angry and super temperamental. And when she does, we see violent floodwaters. <clears throat> we don't have any of that happening at this time of year. Huh? Must be a coincidence, as we like to say here on the podcast. Uh, Yemoya is often depicted as a mermaid, and she is associated with the moon, um, water, feminine mysteries. She is the protector of women. She governs everything pertaining to women, particularly childbirth and bearing of children. And we can extend that out now in the, the year 2021 to all genders that um, give birth. Um, hey, isn't there a thing going on right now in the country about something uh, forced pregnancies or something? What are they doing in Texas? What is all that? And then there was floods and it's Yemoya. Huh? Yeah. It's gotta be a coincidence. I'm sure it's a coincidence. Totally a coincidence. Uh, she oversees childbirth, conception, parenting, child safety, love, healing. And according to myth, when her waters broke, it caused a great flood creating rivers and streams. And the first mortal humans were created from her womb. No big deal. Okay. Let me bring you back to also uh, some imagery that we worked with earlier in the year around our serpent dragon goddesses of the water. Tiamat is one of the great symbols of that, but many of our water goddesses have a serpent dragon version of themselves somewhere. And we have lots of serpent dragon goddesses who are also water, oceanic, river, lakes, goddesses, all that stuff. Interesting stuff. All right. 
let's move on to September 8th. Okay, on September 8th, the moon is still in Libra. So we are still doing our Libra-oriented lunar work, investing in, enjoying, participating in art and the arts and making art and being art and being artistic and art, 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 art. Okay. Uh, also on this day, we have the heliacal rising of the fixed star Mizar. Uh, Mizar means the waistband or the girdle, and this fixed star is found in the constellation the Bear, which we talked about quite a bit last month, didn't we? Um, this star means marriage in Hindu. In China, this is the salary of an official. In Persia, this star was actually used as an eye test because it is a dual star. And so if you had really good eyesight, you could see the second star. Um, now, it's interesting because um, the word Mizar uh, means waistband or girdle, but it is very likely that this star's name is actually Mirza, and it was mistranslated at some point and the name has stuck. Why? Because the name Mirza means prince. And the next star along signifies a man of authority or a person of authority. So it's very possible um, that this star actually is carrying an incorrect name. But currently it is the waistband or the girdle of the bear. Um, but it also, again, does mean the salary of an official. Uh with the other star, it means marriage, um, and potentially it means prince. So wear some purple, I guess. <laughs> All right, let's get into the holy days of September 8th because, woo, we got a spicy one. Okay, talking quickly about the holy days of September 8th. Interestingly enough, we have a feast for Lita and Lada, excuse me, Lila and Lada from uh, our Slavic friends. Um, this day, Lada and Lila are honored because of the work in the fields uh, has come to a close. The celebration is held with dancing and song. This marks the passing of summer and its attendant warmth. Um, <clears throat> interesting about this. The marriage of Lita and Lada, Lila and Lada, is uh, something that we see from spring to now. We we see them get married and do stuff together over and over again. But these two deities are going to turn into other Slavic deities. Um, Lila turns into Mokosh soon enough, and Lada turns into, I can't remember, but there's two other versions of him, and they are more warrior-like and then more of an old dude version of the god. Um, and so... Interesting that we have this fixed star, rec you know, recognizing a marriage energy. We have this marriage between these two deities on this day, um, but they are continuing a part of a process that started in spring and, and turns and turns and turns. Okay. Also on this day, we have the Acorn Festival from the Tuolumne Band of Miwook Indians in uh, Tuolumne County, California. Uh, this group is a federally recognized tribe of Miwook people. Um, the Tuolumne Band are Central Sierra Miwook people. Annually in September, the tribe holds an Acorn Festival and intertribal gathering. Um, I wish I had more information about this, and I would love to know more because acorns are freaking cool and also a pretty potent magical symbol. Um, 
So if you know more about this, please let me know. <laughs> also on this day, we have the Feast of the Birth of Oshun, which is another incredibly powerful, important, and um, influential goddess from the Yoruba land pantheon and Yoruba tradition. Um, we talked a lot about Oshun earlier in the year um, during Letha season. Um, I can't remember which episode, sorry. Ooh. Uh, probably around the Cancer New Moon is my guess. Um, very potent, very, very powerful. In fact, I think we talked about that goddess in the Letha class or the Lunasad class. It all blurs together after a while. Anyways, um, also, the feast of her birth is on this day. And that's all very interesting stuff because we are now going to come into something I want to spend a little bit more time with, which is the feast of the birth of Mary and the descent of the Holy Sophia, a.k.a. Mary Mass. And this is a holiday that is recognized by Catholics and is also recognized by Gnostics. And again, I'm sure somebody out there is like, oh my God, are you seriously getting Catholicism in my witchcraft podcast? I am. I actually am. And the reason is because the Catholics did a really good job. We've talked about this in the past. The Catholics did a really good job at documenting a lot of paganism and not really realizing <laughs> that uh, it's super pagan. <laughs> and, you know, it's not cool that they, like, killed our people and stole our temples and shit. Like, I'm I'm actually still mad. Um, but uh, because I have lived several lifetimes, trust. <laughs> and I carry a grudge. But anyways, um, <laughs> enough about me. <laughs> Um, but I love talking about Mary. I love looking into some, not all, of the Catholic history and the Catholic symbolism because they really canonized quite a bit of what the um, Romans and other polytheists of the day were doing. So let's talk a little bit about this feast of the birth of Mary and the descent of the Holy Sophia because it's pretty cool stuff. Okay, brief drink of water. Let's get into it. So in the um, Catholic universe, only St. John the Baptist and the Virgin Mary have their birth dates commemorated in the church. Um, for all of the other saints, only their death day is commemorated. Um, but these two saints have their birthdays commemorated. And there's a lot of conjecture about why ultimately it comes down to like, they were really fancy. That's basically what's up. Okay. Um, so devotion to the innocence of Mary under this Marian title is widely celebrated in many cultures across the globe. In France, Mary mass is known as wait for it. Our lady of the grape harvest, bitch. Come on! What am I? What am I supposed to do? What am I? What am I supposed to do? Okay. Uh, known as Our Lady of the Grape Harvest among wine growers, the best grapes are brought to the local church to be blessed, and then some branches and bunches of grapes are attached to the hands of the statue of Mary. So she literally is standing there, like the constellation of uh, Virgo, holding grapes in her hand. I mean, come on. 
Okay. And then a festive meal that includes the new grapes as part of the day. All right. So super cute. We're seeing lots of devotions to Mary. Lovely. It happens to be her birthday here at the start of the year at the same time as the new, the Virgo new moon falling at the same time as Jewish new year at the same time as the uh, fixed star that marks the head of the dragon etc 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 okay so now let's talk about sophia who or what is the holy sophia okay sophia is a deity that does not get talked about a whole lot in um patriarchal religions but interesting she comes from them um, Sophia is a part of the Jewish pantheon. Um, Sophia is a idea that is recognized by Catholics and Sophia is central to, uh, the Gnostic vision of the world and, and, um, their understanding of reality. She plays a really big role for a lot of Gnostics. What or who is Sophia? She is literally the embodiment of wisdom. She's the embodiment of enlightenment. Um, she's the she's the <laughs> she's the magus. Sorry, everybody, <laughs> but um, uh oh, womp womp. She's she's the magus. She is the wise one, and we have so many different deities and archetypes that come through during Lunasod season or Lunasa or Lama season, as you like to say it. Um that are the embodiment of wisdom, the embodiment of the sacred text, the embodiment of the collected wisdom of the ancestors, etc., etc. A lot of the forms that we see are old men, but we also see femmes and non-binaries and women's and all the various genders and non-gendered deities also stepping forward to be the embodiment of this wisdom. So, um, let me read to you a short passage um, of some text. This is um, from the Gnostic Doctrines, which has some influence um, from the books of Enoch and from the Old Testament. And in particular, I believe this is writings from a Greek named Epiphanes, a.k.a. Epiphany. Uh, what? You <laughs> know? <laughs> who perhaps had a lunar temple and was a lunar deity and only lived 17 years, or perhaps the 17 years is a metaphor for the 17 days between the new moon and the full moon, you know? <laughs> so let me just read this to you and let's talk about it for a second. Okay. Uh, the Sophia has her dwelling place on the heights above the created universe in the place of the midst between the upper and lower world, between the pleroma and the ectismena. She sits at the gates of the mighty, i.e. at the approaches to the realms of the seven archons and at the entrances to the upper realm of light. Her praise is sung. The Sophia is therefore the highest ruler over the visible universe and at the same time, the mediatrix between the upper and the lower realms. Now, side note, editor's interruption here. Uh, we talked about Mary Mediatrix in Lunar Week 28 
uh, episode. So um, we are already working with this idea of the goddess as the intermediator, um, the connector, right? And we talked about this at the beginning of the podcast, goddess as the embodiment of the bridge between the flesh and the spirit, the there and the here, <laughs> all of that stuff. And so, and so we have a day dedicated here in the midst of everything to the Holy Sophia, who is literally the embodiment of this idea. She shapes this, back to the text, she shapes this mundane universe after the heavenly prototypes and forms the seven star circles with their archons under whose dominion are placed, according to the astrological concepts of antiquity, the fates of all earthly things, and more especially, of humans. She is the mother, or the mother of the living. As coming from above, she is herself of pneumatic essence, the meteor photine or the anodynamis from which all pneumatic souls draw their origin. Okay. Uh, I have more to say, but I'm going to leave it there. Um, you can actually look up this track. Um, if you look up Epiphanies 2610 um, or Epiphanies 4042, um, it actually, this, this, run of text is um, out there quite a bit on the internet. What does all of that stuff mean? It literally means that Sophia represents this thing, this idea, this existence that that sits at the crossroads, that sits at the doorway. Um, and I love that imagery also because if you remember from last week's episode, we talked about all of these gods and goddesses that had to do with literal the hours and the days and the minutes of the harvest and the turning of the season itself and connecting back to a goddess named Cardea or Karna who literally oversees the hinge between the years and the hinge or the doorway between the seasons. And here we have another deity who is sort of being charged with this idea of overseeing the hinge or the doorway between over there and over here, this state and that state. Um, and just so, so, so potent, such a potent image to work with. Um, there's a lot of stuff in Gnosticism that I don't agree with, but whatever, it's fine. There's lots of stuff in Wicca that I don't agree with, too. So that's that's not a big deal or a surprise to anybody. Um, but I highly recommend giving a, a, at least a brief pass uh, if you are interested in understanding the goddess as a multifaceted deity that can do all these things and exist in all these different states and facilitate all these different states of being, this would be one of her facets that I highly recommend studying more of, the Holy Sophia. It's literally the wisdom, but the wisdom in the flesh. So a thing that's normally a concept becoming something that's actually a tangible experience. Cool shit. Sort of like, you know, mothers giving birth, right? <laughs> sort of like the farmer that's working this seed in the soil. And then, you know, suddenly, not at all, actually through tremendous hard work and several months and days of, of praying for rain and praying for drought, and praying for rain, um, we have fields and fields and fields of corn, right? Or fields of squash or fields of beans or what have you. Um, the miracle, the idea 
turned into the living world or the living word. Um, that thing. That's the magic of the Empress card. That's the magic of the Hermit card. Truly, truly. All right, let's move on to September 9th. Okay, on September 9th, the moon moves into Scorpio very, very late in the day. It's like 11 p.m. or something Pacific Standard Time and later than that for everybody else around the planet. But I'm still going to talk about our Scorpio moon stuff that we can be doing um, because September 10th has a bunch of other stuff to talk about. So September 9th, Moon moves into Scorpio very late in the evening. It might be actually September 10th for a lot of you around the planet. Um, when we are working with this um, more or less uh, crescent moon, nearly a crescent moon, it will be on September 10th, in Scorpio, we are dealing with a pretty intense moon. Um a lot of stuff around fear can come up during this moon. Um, and it's a really good moon for in whatever way is safe and healthy for you to explore our darkness a little bit. And that might seem like it's incongruent with the other astrology that we're doing this week, but I don't think so because some of our deepest work that we do in Lunasod season is about claiming our power and stepping into our maturity and stepping into our responsibility, right? But how many times in our lunar cycles over the last few months have we been asked to check our ethics and to check our motivations and to check our, our biases, right? Like, great, you're seizing power, but are you still filled with a bunch of bullshit in your head? We don't want you in charge. We don't want you at the, at the controls. Thanks. Right? So this is a really put, so now this week, we have all of this really cool and challenging astrology that's saying, hey, let me take a deep examination of myself. Let me be real about my potential. Let me think about my long-term goals and all within the auspices of sitting in my seat of power, reconnecting to my personal sources of wisdom, my personal sources of strength and guidance and um, inspirational information and all of that stuff. Before I get too ahead of myself, let me be real with my darkness. Let me be real with, you know, things that maybe I'm fascinated with that are super taboo or super inappropriate or things that I was denied at some other point in my life. And now I'm kind of obsessed with them, whether I actually want them still or not. Right. I'm more obsessed with the fact that I was denied my access to it. So that's a lot of the work that this moon in Scorpio is asking us to do right now. Um, we might study blood rights of our people or the people or any people um, and how they work to make the dysfunctional functional. And when I think of things like that, I absolutely think of very sacred um, cultural traditions like uh, ritual scarification, things like that. But we in the West have our own versions of those things. Um, we do tattooing, we do scarification, we do piercings. Um, and all of those would be very appropriate <laughs> um, means of tapping into this kind of work and getting a little spooky and getting into the flesh, getting into the meat of it all. Um, but it really is about searching inside of our minds and, um, you know, 
kind of witnessing uh, the fear and the pain that we bear in our hearts, um, sitting very comfortably with that Mercury Chiron work that we're being asked to do earlier in the week. Um, and also, we maybe are comparing them to the fears and the pain of other people and the collective. Um, and I wouldn't say comparing in the sense of you know, my suffering is more important than your suffering or nobody's had to deal with what I've had to deal with, but more in the sense of like, oh, wow, these people go through that shit too. Oh, how do they deal with it? Oh, that's intense. That kind of stuff, that thing. Um, we're not really good at dealing with it in the West. So we probably have to look outside <laughs> of our culture for, for some help here. Uh, while we are dealing with the waxing, uh, moon in Scorpio, we are awakening, activating, adorning, stimulating, and nourishing for action the organs in our body that oversee reproduction, pleasure, and waste. So all of our genital situations, but all of our erogenous zones as well. Scorpio absolutely rules um, the parts of the body that deal with waste, reproduction, and, and deep pleasure. So our genitals, our anus, our penises, our vaginas, um, and all of the stuff connected to those, um, our, our testicles, our, um, wombs, if you still have one of those, <laughs> sorry. Um, you know, all of that stuff, right? Taboo. We're not supposed to say those words in public. We're not supposed to talk about those things. We're not supposed to talk about the things we do with those parts of our bodies. Oh my gosh. Talk about it. Get weird. Get graphic. Get bloody. If you want to do, and, and again, in ways that are safe for you, consensuality is lovely. Consent with yourself, right? Take care of yourself. Don't do things that are dangerous. You know what dangerous is for you. Blah, blah, blah. Don't sue me. But, <laughs> but when we're dealing with the moon in Scorpio, it's getting a little crazy. It's getting a little intense. It gets spooky, it gets taboo, and it gets intense. Um, so in whatever ways are appropriate for you to explore that stuff, I highly recommend it. For our plant body work with this waxing moon in Scorpio, we are planting, transplanting, or grafting for above ground results. Okay. Now, let's get into the holy days of September 9th. Okay, holy days for September 9th. From September 9th through the 11th, we have the Feast of Mother Earth. This is a modern pagan holiday, and basically, we've talked about these guys in the past. For me, a lot of the modern pagan holidays um, are placed approximately when a holiday like this would be appropriate. So if you are one of those people that's like, this podcast is lovely, gal, but I am not going to remember any of this stuff. Remember this, September 9th through 11th, great time to worship, light a candle, give an offering, say a prayer, do a dance for any type of Mother Earth goddess that is worshipped by a polytheistic tradition, past or present. There you go. Okay. Um, also on this day, we have Te Velat. This is a um, harvest and fertility festival dedicated to an Albanian goddess. I am not certain what the goddess's name is. I'm not sure if Te Velat or Velat is her name. I've looked up 
those words and various spellings of words that are even remotely similar. And I cannot find an Albanian goddess that's like this at all. So to be continued with that. Interesting little tidbit from history, though. Also on this day, we have Hartalika Tij from our Hindu friends. This is um, a women's friendship fest here in uh, the Virgo New Moon auspices. It always comes three days after the Virgo New Moon. Virgo, of course, the virgin, uh, the maiden, whole unto herself. A lot of lesbian symbology there. A lot of, a lot of butch, uh, a lot of strapped um gal for gal kind of i'm single by the way <clears throat> heart from our hindu friends okay uh also on this day we have um nicateria from our greek ancestors this is a day celebrating the goddess nike in ancient greek civilization nike was victory um she is an ancient goddess uh, and she literally personified the spirit of victory. Her Roman equivalent was Victoria. And if you remember back to the beginning of the episode, today is also um, Juno Reg Regina, basically the queenship or the victory of the queen Juno. So all these symbols kind of wrapping up on top of each other. All right, that's everything for September 9th. Let's move on to September 10th. Okay, September 10th. 10th at 4:03 a.m. Pacific Standard Time the moon will be at uh 2 degrees of Scorpio and this is officially our waxing crescent moon in Scorpio at 2 degrees 4:03 a.m. We just talked about all of our Scorpio work that we are doing so we're still doing it on September 10th. Enjoy your pot your body <laughs> that's, that's really what's up with this moon in scorpio enjoy yourself get into some kinky shit get taboo get weird it's just you there or maybe it isn't <laughs> okay <laughs> also on this day while we have our waxing crescent moon in scorpio venus enters scorpio okay I was, was I joking earlier about getting kinky? Cause I'm not now. I'm actually serious. It's time. <laughs> it's time. <laughs> um, Venus enters Scorpio on September 10th and this planet will be in this sign until October 8th. So if you have anything in Scorpio, Venus will be transiting over that in the next three weeks or so. So you might be feeling especially luscious, especially lovely, especially decadent about things. This transit can feel sexy, sensual, a little obsessive <laughs> about our sex interests or our relationships. And we might experience some profound transformations in our relationships as Venus moves through this sign. Any and all occult and spiritual work is also super enhanced to some degree when planets are transiting through Scorpio. And in particular, because it's Venus, forms of magic that are self-care and that are transformative and that support a deepening connection to your magical power are all very potent right now. And I'd like to add to my own notes. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Megan. <coughs> we already have this 
stuff coming up astrologically this week for us that's asking us to take a long range examination of ourself, maybe get into the little details, but how our work is connected to our community, all of that good stuff. And I think that Venus and Scorpio can really bring in the like, how am I taking care of myself in this process? And how is my self care and my lusciousness, um, you know, integral to everybody else being able to access their self care and their lusciousness rituals as well, right? Like, it's one thing to feel sexy and delicious. It's another thing to be with a whole posse of people that feel sexy and delicious. Now imagine an entire society that feels sexy and delicious. 2022, I'm saying, okay? <laughs> Witches to the front. Let's make this happen. All right. <laughs> um, but yes, lots and lots of opportunities for deepening our connection to our magical power, all of that really cool stuff. Okay. All right, holy days of September 10th. From September 10th through the 25th, we have the Ludi Romani from our Roman ancestors. The Ludi were games that the Romans would uh, throw for the masses, basically. Sometimes they lasted a couple of days. Sometimes they lasted several weeks. They usually had gambling, plays, and other types of theater, musical entertainment. Um, there might be some big public feasting that occurred a couple of times through the festival. Usually there'd be some chariot races or some other type of competitive sporty moment. Um, you know, general carousing and hanging out and, and partying type stuff. The ludi, though, also <laughs> were often used as distractions <laughs> or morale boosters or morale enforcers by the Romans. Um, sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> Isn't it football season soon? Yeah. So the ludi Romani in particular were the Roman games. These games, the chief Roman festival, quote unquote, were held in honor of Jupiter. We have a Jupiter Natalis already. We'll talk more about Jupiter here in a second. Um, these games were not necessarily held every year. Uh, this is what's funny. They were oftentimes based on a vow by a military commander, and they were a celebration of, a, you know, basically their triumphant return, whether they were triumphant or not. Didn't we just bring a bunch of soldiers back from Afghanistan after, you know, basically terrorizing that country for 20 years and we've come back with our tail between our legs we've left a lot of people stranded over there in a really terrible situation and hey guys isn't it shopping time isn't it sports ball season huh how about that yeah so anyways you know sure it's just a coincidence as we like to say uh also on september 10th way cooler holiday. Running from September 10th to September 20th, we have Ganesh Chaturthi. This is from our Hindu friends. This is the great, gigantic Hindu festival celebrating the arrival of Ganesh to Earth, um, brought by his beautiful mother, the goddess Parvati, also known as Gauri. Uh, this festival is marked with Ganesh clay idols being brought out and installed everywhere um, on the street, in temples, in people's homes. They're blessed and they're fed and there's lots of music and chanting and celebration. It's like a very celebratory experience. And then these clay idols are taken to the nearest body of water and dissolved into the water. And it's thought that Ganesh is... Um, 
um, returning to Mount Kailash to Parvati and Shiva. Uh, the festival celebrates Lord Ganesh as the god of new beginnings and the remover of obstacles, as well as the god of wisdom and intelligence and is observed throughout India. Why? Because Diwali will be coming up soon, and that is the true New Year's mark of the dark half of the year for Hindus. So here comes Ganesh as like this wisdom keeper, remover of obstacles, very smart character that um, is sort of clearing the way for the new year that is on its way. Pretty cool stuff. Also here on September 10th, we have Dies Metallus of the Temple of Jupiter Stator uh, from our Roman ancestors. <clears throat> As we've talked about previously, gods like Jupiter and really lots of the gods and goddesses that the Romans, Greeks, and Egyptians worked with would have epithets added to their name that basically talked, spoke to like specific things that the deity was known for or miracles that they had brought about um, or things that they were known for providing or even the regions that they were from. Um, Jupiter, this is Jupiter, the sustainer that stator means the sustainer. Um, and so interestingly, um, <clears throat> this isn't just a Dies Natalis for the temple, the temple of this version of Jupiter. Also, what's happening is this. The Romans, in a sense, had three different years running at any given time. So they had three different new years throughout the year. There was... Uh, the priestly new year, and that would start in January and run through December. There was the national year that started in March and ended sometime in February. And then there was an intercalculatory time until the spring equinox again. And then there is the cyclical or political new year, which I think is also probably uh, food connected too. Um, and that starts in September. Very interesting that we have all of these New Year's happening right here near the summer solstice right at the end, or uh, fall equinox right at the end of summer. Mm, interesting. Uh, back in July, we had the cresting of the Nile and the Egyptian New Year beginning um, in ancient Egypt. And now we've kind of had this collection of New Year's come after that. But in Republican Rome, the senior magistrate on the Ides of September, a.k.a. the 15th day of the lunar month, drove a nail called the year nail or clavus analis into the wall of the temple of Jupiter Optimus Maximus. The ceremony occurred on the Dies Natalis of the temple when the banquet for Jove was also held, as we discussed earlier in the podcast. This nail driving ceremony, however, took place in a sacred space devoted to Minerva, the goddess Minerva, on the right side of the shrine of Jupiter. This ritual predated the common use of written letters, according to the Augustan historian Livy, and was within Minerva's sphere of influence because the concept of number was invented by her. So the turning of the number, the turning of the year from the old into the new, she's like, I'll, I'll oversee this whole counting of the year thing. Thank you very much. Minerva, very much an embodiment of wisdom, a wisdom goddess, intelligence goddess, um, very, very connected to a lot of our Virgo hermit symbolism that we are talking about. Also on this day, we have the 
Mames Vendemia from our Roman ancestors. And this is a festival of the vintage for Dionysus or Roman Liber. Um, this was a day that I could not find a lot of uh, information about. The idea that there are festivals to Dionysus at this time of year with all the grape harvest, of course, definitely. But this one in particular is only documented in a couple of different places and there's not a lot of information about it. So it may have just been that year it was on this date and it's kind of like known forevermore. Um, yeah. Not too sure about that. All right, let's move to September 11th. All right, September 11th. Our waxing crescent moon is still in Scorpio, so we are still doing all of that kinky, sexy, taboo uh, waste management work that we are doing with our Scorpio moon. Um and then our holy days for this year, or for this day, excuse me, our holy days for September 11th, we have the Ethiopian New Year. This is celebrated by Rastafarians around the planet. And we are going to get into the details of that in just a little bit uh, under September 12th. Also on September 11th, for regular old Catholics, we have the beheading of St. John the Baptist. Um, St. John the Baptist is a big symbol for us to work with and learn from during Lunasad season. And I talk a lot more about the importance of the beheading of St. John and who St. John is in uh, the Lunar Week 27 podcast. So if you want to hear more about St. John and why he's a big deal at this time of year, go check that out. Um, okay, let's move on to September 12th. Yes, that's literally it for September 11th. Let's move on to September 12th. Okay, September 12th, we start off with a waxing crescent moon in Sagittarius. It has moved into Sagittarius at this point. So the work that we are doing with this phase of the moon in the sign Sag, we are getting out the door and we are going someplace. Um, but we want to, you know, Sagittarius loves to travel um, and loves to expand the mind and expand the horizons of the mind. But at times, um, Sag energy is just like, I just want to go someplace for the sake of going someplace. I just want to see something new. And with this particular lunar phase, this is really more about journal or excuse me, traveling um, or journeying for a particular reason to visit a friend, um, to see a particular site, to attend some type of an event. Um, to experience the pyramids by moonlight, you know, like whatever it is. And so I, I recommend setting a goal and making it happen. Um, now, it, it's kind of maybe short-term notice for me to say now, hey, why don't you go see the pyramids at the end of the week? Obviously, you know, unless you're in Cairo and then I'm jealous of you, you know, <laughs> or, or, you know, you're in Peru and you can see the, like some really great pyramids down there. Um, but we are going to have a waxing crescent moon in Sagittarius this month and in October and in November. So you actually have a few months to literally make a plan and see if you can't be out traveling and doing something cool to an end, to a purpose, to a goal, um, next month or the month after that, something kind of cool. Okay. 
when we are working with our lunar body for this waxing crescent moon in Sagittarius, we are awakening, activating, adorning, stimulating, and nourishing for action, our lower back, any of the sciatic nerve family where that runs through our bodies and our thighs. Yes, this can just be wearing the glitter lotion. That's plenty. Doesn't have to be anything, you know, strenuous. Don't kill yourself. As I said at the beginning of the podcast, please confer with your trusted health advisor. Uh, for our plant body work, while we are working through this moon and sag, harvesting, controlling insects and pests, plowing, weeding, and pruning our plants, especially for above ground results. Okay. That is the astrology for September 12th. Now let's get into the holy days of September 12th. Okay, we actually have some pretty interesting holy days for September 12th. <laughs> the first one I want to talk about is Chrata, a dance for the sea. This is a modern pagan holiday that you will find marked on modern pagan calendars, but with basically no information. Well, you know me, I couldn't leave it well enough alone. Had to investigate what is Chrata. Could I find anything else about that word? This word connects back to another word that is Geranos. And the Chrata is a type of Geranos dance. Uh, these dances come from ancient Egypt, or excuse me, ancient Greece, like ancient, like Mycenaean level ancient Greece. <laughs> um, and the Geranos dances in particular are chthonic maze dances. They wind and they have a labyrinthine serpent-like dance. There may have been a rope of some type involved in the dance. I don't know how. Um, this was a harvest dance, and the leaders of the dance were at the opposite ends of these rows of people or winding lines of people. Uh, there might have been snake carrying involved. Uh, the word ger, G-E-R, means to wind. So geranos definitely implies something about this dance. It's about winding up, right? Or winding serpentine kind of thing, right? There is an 8th century pendant, BCE, um, 8th century BCE pendant, excuse me, that shows two Gerano dancers and a seven circuit winding maze on one side of the pendant. And that was all the information that I could find. But immediately it made my mind spin because the serpentine labyrinthine dance is something that we see modern pagans do even to this day. Um, but also the the winding maze shape and symbol is absolutely a sign or a symbol that we work with at the end of Lunasad season and definitely into Maybon season. Um, it absolutely sits with our harvest symbolism, but hello, have we not been talking about serpents this entire time? What the frick? Um, <laughs> and to me, what we have here is, you know, maybe I'm totally making this up in my own head. I'm fine. Somebody come and correct me. But uh, I'm seeing in my mind a collection of people that are winding and twisting and turning in this uh, dance wherein the pattern of a maze or a labyrinth is formed by this very long line of people that hold each other together with a rope. Um, 
or a you know a tie of some kind and you have the start and the end of this long line being the leaders which to me is very much like the ouroboros of the serpent biting its own tail which we see a ton of times on a bunch of different hermit cards ah and coming back to our you know dragon constellation of the dragon biting its own tail spinning around the the pole of the you know at the northern peak of the sky ah it's so much it's so much it's so much okay when I read about this dance, I was just like, okay, it's all kind of coming together. <laughs> and or I'm flipping out a little bit, but this is pretty cool. <laughs> um, okay, so also on this day, we have the Coptic Egyptian New Year of Nehru's or Nauru's. Now, side note, that word Nauru's is also the name of the Persian New Year that we experience at spring equinox. So literally, the opposite side of the calendar or the opposite side of the wheel from where we are right now. Very interesting. Very cool. Okay. Um, so let's talk about this holiday for just a second. Um, Nehru's is a feast when martyrs and confessors are commemorated within the Coptic Orthodox Church. Celebrated on September 11th and September 12th, the day is, the days, excuse me, um, are both the start of the Coptic New Year and its first month, Thout. Okay, let's talk about that word. What is thought? Thought is thought. It's thoth, which is where the th word thought comes from. Thoth is our hermit. Thoth is Hermes. Now, they, they had some differences, but they were very similar, and they were very much thought of as the same being, up to and including when the... Um, Greeks moved into the Egyptian areas and started hanging out and doing their thing, the um, the temple that had been dedicated to Thoth became Hermopolis, aka Herm, as in Hermes, as in Mercury, as in the ruling planet of Virgo. Yeah, <laughs> that. Okay, so this is Thoth, who is like Hermes Mercury, but different in that Thoth is self-begotten. What? What? <laughs> you mean whole unto himself? Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait. Wait. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, Thoth is a moon god, a healer, most well known as a master of the law, mathematics, language, magic, judgment, balance, and the dead. Lots of stuff that Hermes is doing. Lots of stuff that we're talking about in Lunasad season. Um his wife, Matt, is the goddess of cosmic balance, truth, and law. We also get the words um, meter and materia or material from her name, as in like matter. That's her, <laughs> you know, the, the physical stuff of the universe. Um, she was a daughter of Ra and Hathor. Okay. The couple had a daughter named Seshat, who was the goddess of writing. Um, he is often, Thoth is often depicted with the head of an ibis or a baboon. Um, and he served as an accompanier to Ra on the sun's uh, journey into the underworld. He also collected knowledge and scribed spells to share with humanity. He was also a mediator of the gods. So yeah, a bridge between gods and a bridge between humanity and the gods. Thoth presided over the judgment of the dead with Osiris in the Hall of Truth, 
while the god Anubis would weigh the heart of the deceased individual. And let's scroll back up very quickly and remind ourselves what's happening for this Coptic Egyptian New Year, Nauru's feast when martyrs and confessors are commemorated within the Coptic church. And here we see that Thoth is helping to preside over the judgment of people's lives, um, along with Osiris. Uh, in the hall, Thoth is also the scribe who keeps the record of the souls of the deceased and the one who keeps track of the white feather of truth. In the afterlife, the mansion of Thoth is the place where souls uh, rest and prepare for their hard journey to paradise. They receive magic spells from Thoth, which help them in fighting demons which stand in their way to the underworld. In the afterlife, his magic also provides souls with spells that can bring them back from the afterlife life and resurrect them um you know in me is the glory the everlasting yeah that thing um he is believed to have written 42 books which have all the knowledge that humanity would ever need now this number 42 is a big freaking deal in ancient egypt but it's a big freaking deal in a lot of different magical systems and scientific systems. You want to get real weird? Go to Wikipedia and type in the number 42 and look at all of the stuff that comes up. But easy peasy, there was 42 noms or districts of ancient Egypt, upper and lower Egypt, 42 altogether. But that's just one. I might know I might mention that um uh 42 degrees uh, when the sunlight is at 42 degrees and it's raining, that's when you're going to get a rainbow. Hmm. I'm sure it's just a coincidence. And one last thing that I want to mention about Thoth is that Thoth was born out of the forehead of the god Set. Um, Set is Saturn. And Saturn's magical number is three. If we work the magical number of Saturn in a three by three by three cube, that equals 42, the number of Thoth. Okay, guys. <laughs> so we have seen lots and lots of holidays this week that are all about holy deities as embodiment of wisdom and literally as the bridge between the ineffable wisdom of gods, god, goddesses, goddess, ancestor, entity, spirit, guardian, angel, holy guardian, angel, higher parts of the soul, all that stuff, right? And hear us now, this lifetime, our physical body, this flesh world, this, you know, what is it, right? Um, Earthbound misfits, we all, right? Well, here comes the goddess <laughs> in the guise of lots of different goddesses and gods to help us bridge this. How do we get from A to B? How do I get from um, where I was to where I want to be? This is a really fantastic week to sit in our experiences, to sit in our wisdom, to tap back into some of our oldest wisdom sources and, and sources of guidance and inspirational information um, and calm down, slow down and listen.
Okay, quickly, because we've legitimately gone into the realms of the absurd with how long these fucking podcasts are becoming. Ah! Thanks for being with me as I experiment with this uh, format and try to figure out how to, like, wrangle my shit. Okay. Um, this week, we have our lunar phases moving through, or moving from Virgo through Sagittarius. This is continuing to emphasize uh, mutable signs, which we love because we are shifting into adaptation to the end of the season, right? That's what Virgo is all about, is helping us shift out of summer and into fall. Um, for our astrology for this week, we have Mercury entering its shadow phase at 10 degrees of Libra on Monday the 6th. We have our new moon on Monday the 6th. We have Mars trine Pluto in retrograde. Uh, we have Venus trine Jupiter in retrograde. And we have the sun trine Uranus in retrograde all on Monday the 6th. On the 7th, we have Mercury oppose Chiron at 11 degrees. On the 10th, we have Venus moving into Scorpio. Um, next week, we have all kinds of really cool stuff, but Mars is moving into Libra. So we have... Venus moving into Scorpio this week. We have Mars moving into Scorpio, or excuse me, Mar Mars moving into Libra next week. Um, also, next week, um, no, next, next week, we have our Wheel of the Year class on September 16th at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, this is a free two-hour live stream for Maybon. Fall Equinox, Second Harvest, Witches Thanksgiving, Fruit Harvest, Harvest Home, etc. It's Michael Mass, etc. etc. Um, if you want to watch, you can do so for free. Join us at YouTube. If you have an, a YouTube account, you can comment in the chat. You can also watch it just on my website if you want to. If you would like to have access to the 15 to 20 page book of information, spells, recipes, history, astrology, astronomy, holidays from around the world, as well as the eight week calendar that the podcast is based out of, um, a bibliography and lots of other cool stuff that I add in there. <laughs> Join my Patreon, everybody that subscribes at the $9 or Venus level and higher, that's US currency, um, gets full access to the Patreon bag of holding, um, which has information about this class and tons of other classes. Um, okay, that's it. Be good to yourselves this week. Take care of yourselves. Engage in your self-care routines. No is a self-care routine and that includes saying no to yourself but you know not on those moon and scorpio days <laughs> all right Mwah. blessed be heathens <laughs>